Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's word. Enjoy the message. We're going to focus in on this. Faith is greater than the loudest voices, your personal plans, and your best efforts. Faith is greater than. When I speak of faith being greater than, I want to just throw this in just as explanation, and that is I'm referring to a faith that is in God. A faith that's in God is greater than. We can have faith in a lot of different things. I can have faith in a chair, but I want to have faith in God. Faith in God is greater than. Faith in God, I'm talking about the ancient of days, the everlasting and almighty God, the God who is the Lord of heaven's armies, the one who has neither beginning nor end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The God who sees everything. That's the God I'm talking about when I say a faith in God is greater than. And then faith. I mean, faith. Well, what is faith? Hebrews 11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction, the conviction of things not seen. Faith has some teeth to it. Faith has some backbone to it. It's the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. 400 years ago, the Puritans wrote about faith, and they said the faith included knowledge, assent, and taking hold. Knowledge begins with knowledge. How can you believe in something if you've never heard of it? Makes sense. The Word of God says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But the Puritans said that it is not just knowledge that says you have true, genuine faith. There also needs to be something called assent because you can hear something you can even know something can have the knowledge and still not believe in it so there needs to be knowledge the puritan said but also there needs to be assent or agreement a great example of this and this is what they're referring to is the word of god a wholehearted agreement assent that this is the word of god meaning when i read a chapter of the bible i believe it And then I go to the next chapter, and even if I don't completely understand it yet, I believe it. I give my assent, my agreement to it, because it is is the word of God. The Puritan said, yeah, but wait a second. You can have knowledge, and you can have assent or agreement, but it's still not necessarily genuine faith until you take hold of that which God has said and make it your own and cling to it. Don't you love that? Cling to it. This is truth. But beyond knowing it and believing it, I'm saying this is truth and Jesus is my Savior. And he is my refuge and he is my hope. Cling to it. Imagine a man drowning in the ocean and he looks up and there is a ship that is passing by and it has life preservers on it. The man knows as he's drowning in the water that that ship has life preservers on it. He even believes that that ship has life preservers on it, but he will not be saved unless he, what, clings to the life preserver that would be thrown to him and clings on it for his life. He can know it, he can believe it, but when someone throws in that life preserver, that doesn't do him any good, that knowledge or that belief doesn't do him any good unless he, what, takes hold of it, clings to it. That's the kind of faith that I'm talking about when I say that faith is greater than. A faith that you cling on to with your life 
And we're going to look at a young lady here in Scripture who had to make the decision at a very young age, would she have that kind of faith? Would she have the kind of faith that clings, that holds on to, that uh, grabs hold of and doesn't let go? The God of the universe and what the God of the universe said to her. Would her faith in God be greater than the loudest voices in her head? Would her faith in God be greater than her own personal plans for her life? Would her faith in God be greater than even her best efforts? Luke chapter 1, verse 26 it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, marriages at this time in Jewish culture were arranged between the parents, and contracts were negotiated. How many teenagers in this place think that is a great idea? We need to have some arranged marriages. I trust my parents to pick out who I should marry. Any teenagers like, hey, let's do this. How many parents, as you think about your kids, you're like, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, yeah, you're like, that's probably a good idea. I think I could handle that. <laughs> well, in this culture at that time, that was how it was. Parents arranged the marriages, contracts were written out, handshakes were given. Pledges were given, and then that man and that woman, or that boy and that girl, depending on their age, were what we would call engaged, but in that time it was a legally binding commitment. They were even called husband and wife, but they still did not live together. There was a one-year waiting period that uh, the, uh, the woman or the girl would still live with her parents and the man would be preparing his home to get ready for them to come together. A one-year waiting period, one of the purposes of that was to see if they would be pure, if they would be faithful to their commitment to each other. How many know that if you are faithful before you get married, there can be more trust when you're married? And this uh, man and this girl uh, had to be shown to be faithful and to be pure. And if they were pure, then about a year later, the husband would show up unannounced at the bride's parents' house and get his bride. And then there would be this grand processional through the town with the man leading his bride to the house that he had prepared. How cool is that? It was during this one-year period. Sometime during this one-year period when the angel Gabriel was sent by God to this young lady, Mary, who was in this legally binding contract with a man named Joseph. And the angel Gabriel came to her, verse 28, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. I want you to lean into this for a moment. Because in scripture, over and over again, often, when an angel of the Lord was sent by God to someone, the human who was the recipient of the angel's visit and the message from God was scared out of their minds. Out of their minds. Like losing all of their faculties scared out of their minds. Like falling down on their face scared out of their minds. And rightly so. An angel of 
heavenly armies coming. Who knows how they're dressed? I mean, how big they are, a flaming sword. It's no wonder why grown men fell on their faces in fear. It's because something was coming to them that looked a lot bigger than them. Interestingly, when this angel of the Lord comes to Mary, Mary doesn't seem to be afraid at all of the angel's appearance. What does the text say? She was greatly troubled at the saying. She wasn't afraid of the appearance of the angel, which is surprising. She was troubled, confused, perplexed at the words of the angel. The words that came from God. This angel, being sent by God, has a message from God to this young lady, many believe a young teenager, and, and he says to her, what? Hey, you're favored. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. you. You are noticed by God. God knows your name. The angel said her name. Mary had never met him before. Giving the, the understanding that God knew her and, and knew everything about her and had chosen her and had decided to put his favor on her. And it's with these words that Mary becomes very confused and perplexed. Like, what, me? Like, I'm, I'm favored? I mean, I would have been freaked out by the angel, right? And she wasn't. She was freaked out, if you will, by the words. Me? God notices me? He knows my name? He's calling me favored? Understand that she came from a very, very small hometown it's called Nazareth. There are probably around 180 people who lived in this major metropolis. I mean, it is a small, small place. And it was a place that was actually despised by many of the other people who lived in Judah and other places. Because in Nazareth and in that area of Galilee, they had contact with the Gentiles. Roman soldiers would stay there. Roman soldiers would camp out there. And, and so many of the Jewish people despised the people of that hometown, the hometown where Mary was from, the hometown where she was living whenever this angel came to her. And so to many people around her, she was a nobody from Nowheresville, this small hick town that people hated and despised and tried to travel around. They didn't even want to go there. And that's where she grew up. I wonder how many times that was told to her as she walked on the street. You're nobody. We don't know anything about her parents. Did her parents say that she was worthless? We don't know. But for whatever reason, when the angel came and said, you're favored, God is with you. I mean, I could say that to one of you and you'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. But to Mary, it was like she had never heard these words before. She was an insecure teenager and all of us can relate to that. You're like, eh, I'm 50, I can't relate to being a teenager. Yeah, but you can relate to having insecurities. I got them. And here was this young lady being confronted with the message from God that she was different than what other people had said. And so I have to ask myself as I was reading through this text, how did this occurrence with the angel differ from others in the birth of Christ account? You remember, God sent dreams and, and angels to what? To Zechariah, Luke chapter 1, to Joseph, to the shepherds, to the wise men. And guess what? In all of those other occurrences, the angel of the Lord sent by God 
never once said anything to any of those people, you're favored. God is with you. You got some good things going for you. God loves you. The, read it. The angels never say anything like that. They're just relaying information. Here's what you need to do. But in this situation, in this occurrence, it is so different. It stands out because the angel of the Lord comes from God and says, you know what? You're highly favored. God is with you. And I have to ask the question, why is it that the angel sent by God told her those things and didn't tell any of the other people in the accounts surrounding the birth of Christ? My only explanation is this. The only possibility that I know is just this. Mary needed to hear it. She needed to hear it. She needed to hear it. She needed to hear what she'd never heard before. She needed to hear truth. You know, one of the cool things about going hunting, you know, those who are hunting here, you know what I'm talking about, is that when you get out and you're in the blind, or you're walking through the woods, or you're up in your tree, that it's quiet. Right? It's silent for the most part. You can hear the wind. Sometimes the only sound is a squirrel running through on the leaves. And you're like, it's pretty far away. You're like, how did I hear that squirrel? Because it's silent. It's just quiet. It's peaceful. A lot of people love being out there because it's so, so peaceful. It's silent. Think about what happens in between your ears. Talking about your mind. How silent is your mind? How silent is it between your ears? For many people, it's not very silent. Right? For many people, there's voices. There's messages. For some of us, we've had people in our past say things to us that were derogatory, that were negative. You're never going to amount to anything. Whatever it might be. And I'm sorry if you have experienced that in your life. And and then there are things that we, we say about ourselves. And then... Come on, there is a real enemy of our soul. Father of lies, accuser of the brethren. And he yells, you're not going to do anything with your life. And he yells, you're weak. And he yells, just give in. You know you're going to eventually. And he yells, give up. And he, and he, and he yells, that loud voice in your head saying, uh, you're not good enough. You don't measure up. And I was thinking about this. Yesterday, that I, I, I believe that the enemy has a go-to line for all of us. And it's not the same one. Based on our weaknesses and vulnerabilities and insecurities and past and what others have said and uh, uh, all that. But, but I think the enemy has a special go-to line for you. I know he does for me. One of the, the main go-to lines that the enemy has between my ears... Fiery dart is, you're not doing enough. I hear that a lot. You're not doing enough. I don't know what the go-to line is that the enemy has for you, but you know what it is. Even if you never thought it was the enemy, you know what it is because it comes in your mind so often. Here's the tragedy. Many people have embraced the voice of the enemy the accusation of the enemy, the condemnation of the enemy as their own voice. And they, and you, and I at times, have thought, that's me. That's me. I have at times, go-to line of the enemy, it's like, you're not doing enough. 
You're not doing enough. Work harder. Do more. You've got to do more. You're not doing enough. You're not making enough impact. Do more. You're not doing enough. And there are many times when I haven't discerned that's the voice of the enemy. I thought that was my own mind. I'm like, okay, okay, I've got to do more. I've got I to keep going. I've got to keep going. i got to keep doing it. And what I'm discovering is that when the enemy does his voice and its accusation, its negativity, and its condemnation, its discouragement, and whatever it is that, that he says to you as his go-to line, that if we're not careful, we can embrace that as our own voice. And it sounds a lot like us. When it's not us, it's the enemy. Shooting a fiery dart to try to get us off base, try to get us distracted, to try to get us sidelined. And the only thing that can combat that fiery dart, the only thing that can combat that negative, loud voice is truth. It's truth. The truth will set you free. The truth will silence the loudest voices. And in that moment, the angel came to her. All the dudes that had this angel come to them are falling on their faces, almost messing their pants. They are so scared. Just, just to paint the picture. They're scared out of their minds. This angel comes to Mary, and Mary's not scared at all at the appearance of the angel because what the angel said shocked her system. What? Because what was said to her, I believe, was different than anything the enemy had ever said to her. Might have been different than anything her parents ever said to her. It might have been different than, than anything that anyone on the street ever said to her. And it was probably different than anything she ever said to her. It shocked her. What? Me? I'm favored and graced by God? Interestingly, this word in the Greek, which is translated, O favored one, in this passage, is only used one other time in the entire New Testament. And it is referring to... To us. The same greeting, the same word that God sent the angel to say to Mary, say, you are highly favored. You're a favored one. The only other time it's used is when the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, is referring to believers. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, saying, in many translations, you are accepted. You belong. You are favored. If you've placed your faith in Christ, how cool is that? That's truth. And the only thing that silences the loudest voices is truth. The truth about who we are in Christ. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you are sealed, you're established, you're anointed, you're free of condemnation. You are set free from sin. You have been forgiven, you have been redeemed. You have been made a citizen of heaven already. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. As a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, you are a new creation in Christ. You are loved by God and nothing can separate you from that. That's truth. That's just truth. Is your faith going to be greater than the loudest voices? Is your faith in what God says going to be greater than what the enemy says? Will your faith be greater than the loudest voices? It's truth. Silences, the loudest voices. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to embrace what God says about us. Church, that's what we're going to do. As we head into these next few days of this week, 
that's what we're going to do. We're going to embrace what God says about us. Because when we have faith in what God says about us, the voices which were the loudest are silenced in Jesus' name. I want to talk with you now about another part of this passage that I see, and that is that Mary's faith was not only greater than the loudest voices in her head, her faith was going to be greater than even her personal plans. Now, when I was a youth pastor, I would talk with students and know that many of them were feeling pressure. They're 16, 17 years old, and they have all these adults coming to them and saying, what are you going to do when you grow up? What are you going to do when you grow up? Well, what's your plan after high school? Do you have it laid out? What is it that you're going to do? And I used to tell students often that the reason why many of these adults are coming to you when you're 16 and 17 asking you uh, to tell them what you're going to do when you grow up is because they're still looking for ideas. <laughs> they're 40, they're 50, they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. They're asking you for ideas. Here's the thing. Mary probably had some plans. Come on, she's a teenager at this time. She had some plans. She had some ideas of some things that, that she wanted to do. I'm sure she wanted to travel. Maybe she wanted to move out of her small hick town to a bigger city. She, she probably one day wanted to get married and have maybe like wait five years and have 2.5 kids, be a stay-at-home mom, start an online business. She had plans. She had things that she, I'm sure, had mapped out that she was wanting to do. It's normal, right? Every person is like that. Mary was no different. And those sound like pretty good plans for Mary. But Mary discovered that God's ability to plan is a little bit better than hers. Mary discovered that she could come up with good plans, but God was getting ready to invite her into his plan. I love this, verse 31, the angel of the Lord said, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary had some good plans, but nothing held a Christmas candle to God's plan. And that was this, that she was going to be involved with what the whole entire Bible was pointing to, the coming of the Son of God. Divine God coming in the flesh. The Messiah. All the Old Testament have been pointing to this, and now, yeah, she had some good plans, but God was inviting her into some divine plans. She was going to be about the plan. She was going to be involved in the plan, the overarching story of God. Creating and loving and not giving up and then coming to rescue humanity from their sin. And she was going to be a part of it. You can come up with uh, good plans, but God wants to invite you into his plans. We're all capable of coming up with some pretty good plans. But I believe God wants to invite you into divine plans. I love what Acts chapter 13 verse 36 says about David. After David had served the Lord's purposes in his generation, he passed on. After he had served the Lord's purposes in his generation, he died. Isn't that a life well lived? Living your life in such a way that you serve the Lord's purpose. 
And the reality is that God loves us so much that he invites us to be a part of his amazing plan. He doesn't have to, but he does. He invites us to be a part of the overarching story of the kingdom of God, the reality of God. And he invites each and every one of us into it with a different role, with different gifts and passions that he has given to us. But he invites us in to be about his purposes so that we can have a life well lived. We can serve the Lord's purposes in our generation that God has placed us in. And then we pass on to be with the Lord forever through our faith in him. Mary had some good plans, but God was inviting her into better plans, divine plans. I remember back when I was in college, uh, I was in Bible college, in fact, and there were people that at times would come up to me and say, hey, Keith, so are you going to be a, a senior pastor someday? And I would laugh. I would, I would just like, Pah! That, was, that was my response. That's just what came out, like, what? That is the furthest thing from my mind. I was not even thinking about that at all. And then I became a youth pastor, and people would often ask me that. Like, hey, are you going to be a senior pastor someday? And I'm like, no. Like, I mean, I was like, I have plans. Like, I envision something different. And then uh, fast forward, the Lord, uh, through his uh, will and sovereignty, um, made it clear to us that this was the, the, the chapter that God wanted us to live out here, the chapter of our life, and that God was leading us into this way. And so as he finally got our attention, we said yes to the invitation to be the lead pastor of this amazing church. Now, after the fact, there were people that would come up to me and ask me, hey, hey Keith, when you were the youth pastor here at CCC, were you hoping someday to be the lead pastor here at CCC? And once again, <laughs> are you serious? It and I'm being honest with this, I don't think it ever once flew past the synapses and through the synapses of my brain. Like I, that thought, I don't think ever once went through there. There was no thought, no hope, no desire. There was nothing like that. But if Lacey and I have discovered anything since we've been following Christ, it's this. We can come up with good plans, but God wants us to invite, God wants to invite us into his plans. And God's plans are always better. As you look back at your life, can't you just see, like, oh, my goodness, God's fingerprints all over it? Like, even when you weren't even serving him and the way that he protected you and the way he brought people into your life, and you're like, oh, my goodness, only God could pull that off. I try really hard to mess it up, but only God could pull that off. Because God has a plan, the plan, the plan of the kingdom, and he loves us so much that he invites us to be a part of it. Will your faith in God's ability to plan be greater than your personal plans? He's pretty good at it. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to believe, truly, truly, truly believe that God is inviting you into his plans. I'm talking about today. I'm talking about tomorrow when you wake up. We're going to believe that God actually is inviting us into his plans. He planned his story. Mary had to choose was she going to have faith greater than the loudest voices in her head? Would she have faith that was greater than her personal plans? And then finally, would her faith be greater than her best efforts? Would her faith in God be greater than her best efforts? One of the things that I love, 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 love about this passage in Luke chapter 1 is that 
during the time the angel of the Lord is speaking to her and saying, this is who you are. You are favored by God. God is with you. And, and here is what uh, God is going to do. He's allowing you to be part of his plan. Here's what I love about this passage. The angel did not leave Mary with even one instruction. She had her to-do list out, but it was blank. The angel didn't tell her one single solitary thing that she needed to do. We would have come up with a list if we were the angel sent by God. We're like, oh, I need to change this. Mary, you need to go to the doctor. You need to get a pregnancy test. You need to make sure not to eat certain food. Don't vape. Don't do roller coasters. <laughs> oh, and, and also um, convince your man Joseph that you're pregnant not by another dude. Uh, but you're pregnant with the Son of God. That's what you need to do, Mary. Oh, okay. The angel did not leave Mary with one single solitary task. That's significant. Her only responsibility was to believe. Not to do, to believe, to have faith. Oh, we get this so mixed up. When people came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what are the works that God requires? They're ready. What are the works that God requires? And Jesus responds to these people and says, the work of God is this. These guys are ready. The work of God is this. And he says, to believe. In the one that he has sent. What, well, Jesus, what do we need to do? No, to believe. To believe. To have faith. In the one that he has sent. Jesus Christ. This uh, summer, we were driving around Michigan doing a couple different things. And uh, we wanted to go to Sleeping Bear Dunes. And so we went to the visitor center. And, and many of you have been there and getting information. And we had to pay the fee to, to go look at what God created. I'm like, come on, man. You didn't create this. But... Uh, we had to pay the fee to get our vehicle in, and so uh, we're going to go on Pierce Stocking Drive, and we get the map and all that. And we'd been there a couple years before, and I asked, uh, I said something about uh, the big, the big dune, you know, the one at the, not the one where like everyone's running up. Oh, this is great um, at the parking lot area, but the Michigan Overlook, Lake Michigan Overlook, and I asked about that one, and because uh, that's really one reason why I want to drag my kids there, and sh and she's she gets a serious look on her face, and she looks at me, and she's like. Glasses down. We are asking that no people go on that anymore. And I'm like, what? I drove all the way here to hear that. She's asking that no people go on this more because of the erosion. The erosion is making it so difficult for people to get back up. And we're saying that uh, no, one, no one should do that. Please, please, we're asking that no one goes on, on this dune. And so I was like, all right. And get in the car like, all right, guys, let's go. <laughs> Going to the dune. I'm like, erosion, let's do this. It's going to be hard. And so we get to Lake Michigan Overlook. If you've been there, it's 450 feet down. And, it, you know, when you stand there, it looks like it is, it is straight down. And I couldn't talk any of my family going with me all the way down. And so uh, I, I, I went down, erosion and all. And I, I realized that, once again, because I'd done it before, that going down is quite a different experience from coming up. <laughs> like, I just, I was, it's like, like. And when I finally made it back up, Finally, made it back up. 
the thought hit me. And this is after I'd rested. I knew I wasn't going to throw up. Um, the thought hit me of the similarity between my experience at that dune and the way many of us view our relationship with God. I had two different experiences. Going down, this is no lie, and she'll attest this, she was at the top watching me. Um, I'm running down this thing as fast as I can, huge smile on my face, hands are just up, and I was like, ah! going down this thing. I was having so much fun, so much joy. I was just floating down this thing, trying not to fall on my face as fast as I could. Oh, my goodness, I had so much fun. Fun, and then it was over. <laughs> You're at the bottom, look back up, and you're like, okay, I see how it is. And so then I turn around, get my breath, and I start to make my way up. And I'd done it a couple years ago, and it, it has eroded <laughs> a little bit. I'm saying that. I started to go back up, and I realized that with every step, I'm on all fours. It's that steep and that eroded now. I'm on all fours, and every step is minimal progress because the foot's coming back down. And I'm like, okay, I gotta dig deep, and I gotta take some breaks. Many people view their relationship with God like that. Striving. Minimal progress. Am I going to make it? I gotta dig deep. I gotta do better. I gotta stop doing that. I gotta start doing this. I'm striving, striving, striving. We can view the plans that God has for us as super hard. Like, oh my goodness, there's no way what God has us walking through, the challenges that we're facing, is so hard, so hard. Just minimal progress. I'm barely making, I'm barely breathing. Oh my goodness, am I going to throw up? How am I ever going to make it all the way up? And then I thought about my journey down that slope. When I was running, like, yes! The joy, the peace, which do you think God wants it to be for you? Did he go to the cross so you could strive your way up 450 feet in life? He went to the cross so you could be free, so you could be forgiven, so that you could be cleansed and redeemed and in Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places and adopted as a child of God. That's why I went to the cross, to give you hope and to give you peace. And I love this about Mary. Her faith was greater than her best efforts. All the things that she had planned, all the things that she could have done, could not even come close to what God was providing for her. And Mary, as a young teenager, got it. She got it. Here's why I say that. Because Mary made a choice for her faith to be greater than all the things that she thought she had to figure out and thought that maybe she had to do. See, here's what we're going to do. We're going to believe and then we're going to rest in what God has already done. We're going to rest in what God has already done, what he has already accomplished. Mary the one blessed with carrying the Christ child, didn't understand why God loved her so much. On that day, she had no clue how it was all going to turn out. She didn't. But she had something that was greater than the loudest voices, her personal plans, and her best efforts. And it was faith 
It was faith. And the angel ended this time with her by saying, nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary responds, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Look at this. I am the servant of the Lord. You see how Mary is responding? It's surrender to what God has said. It's surrender to the truth. It's surrender to the promise. I am the Lord's servant. She used a word here, which was uh, the word in that time, to mean the lowest of female servants. She's like, I'm, I, I'm down here. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary, in the natural, should have been scared. Think about this. She should have been scared. Very likely, her parents would kick her out of the home. She would be abandoned on the street. Very likely, her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, would kick her out of the relationship. She would be a marked woman. It was possible, don't forget this, that she could be stoned to death, according to Jewish law, for alleged sexual sin. She should have been scared, but she wasn't. She should have been afraid, but she wasn't. She should have been frustrated with all the things that she had to figure out and all the things that she was going to have to do. But she wasn't. You know what she had instead of fear or frustration? Joy. Pure joy. Like she was running down a 450-foot slope with her hands up in the air, with a smile from ear to ear saying, yes, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but yes. Look how she responds. Not with fear, not with frustration. We read about this and we continue on the text. Verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord, Mary says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She responds with straight up joy. Her heart was filled with joy. She didn't have a clue how it was all going to turn out. But her heart was filled with joy. Why? Because she actually believed what God said about her. She actually believed what God said about her and that silenced those loudest voices in her head. She actually believed that God's plans were greater than her personal plans. And she believed what? She believed that she could rest in what God had already accomplished. Because God said it was going to be so. Here's what we're going to do as we go through this week. We are going to embrace what God says about us. We are going to believe that God is inviting us into his divine plans. And we're going to rest in what God has already accomplished. Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments.